And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome in another 49ers live room format. Matt and I were joking right before we hit the live button that if we really do discuss all of the 49ers problems, we might be here for about six hours. So we, we promised to abbreviate this, to spare you six hours, although I'm sure some people would love to talk football for six hours. Uh, we don't really have time for that right now, but we have time for a nice episode of Here's the Catch with some listener engagement. So go ahead, uh, hit that button that requests to get up on stage. And after we talk for a little bit, we can get to your questions. But Matt, the 49ers just got beaten badly by the Kansas City Chiefs. You can call it a measuring stick game. I think that's fair. I think you could say that in the big picture, the 49ers are currently not in the top tier of the NFL. But that also doesn't preclude them from ending up in the top tier of the NFL before this season ends. There are still... 10 regular season games to go. Last year at this time, in fact, we were talking about the 49ers beating the Bears. They were feeling good about themselves coming out of Chicago. And then they just got squashed by an Arizona Cardinals team that was missing a lot of its best players, including its quarterback, Kyler Murray. Colt Colt McCoy led the Cardinals to a two-touchdown win over the 49ers. So I, I just say that to illustrate that the 49ers had not even been close to rock bottom yet at this point of last year but they turned it around in the remaining nine weeks of the regular season and in the postseason to to reach the nfc championship game and be one of those top teams so um everything is still on the table for them but they have to fix a lot to reach what is on the table and that will extend to all three phases of the game yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, one of the questions I got in my mailbag this week was whether this current team, coming off this this awful loss to the Chiefs, is uh, in, in more precarious a state than last year's team was, a uh, relatively similar record. And I actually thought that last year's, and it's easy to forget about it because they ended up uh, going to the playoffs and solving a lot of their issues in the second half of the season. But at this time, a year ago, remember how bad things were. Uh, All sorts of issues at cornerback. I mean, this was the team that was committing pass interference penalties at a staggering rate. They had all sorts of uh, issues at running back. I think that really sort of flattened their offense for the first eight games or so. Uh, Garoppolo had had that that calf injury when uh, now teammate Kerry Hyder crashed into him in that game against the Seahawks. And he really looked bad, I thought, in that uh, that rainy game against the Colts. And so I feel like there was all sorts of uh, misgivings and insecurities about that team. This team certainly has quite a few of its own. But um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's uh, a possibility more so than maybe I felt at this point last year. So... Um, I don't know what that means for the future. Things can go in a million different directions. My point is that uh, the 49ers, their fans, have been here before, 
and uh, it all turned out well. And you can definitely see a path, uh, starting with a win against the Rams, and then a nice uh, therapeutic, rejuvenating bye week, and then you hit that backstretch. Uh, so it, it's all there in front of them. Um, it's absolutely doable. They just got to pull their you-know-what together. Yeah, and last year, you know, there were several moves that allowed the 49ers to hit their rhythm. I actually wrote about one, and that article will probably come out at some point on Thursday if you want to check it out on The Athletic. But one of the moves came this week, and it was moving Eric Armstead full-time to defensive tackle. Because the 49ers, I mean, every single team – has to play some sort of complementary football, right? That's just the way that this sport works. It is a team sport where each phase of the game is at least somewhat reliant on the other phases of the game. But I think that Kyle Shanahan's system and the 49ers' offense, defense, everything is is so based on complementary football and complementary contributions that the domino effect there is so pronounced. And the issue in Weeks 1-7 to last year, and the reason I bring it up right now is because it's a little bit of an issue right now as well, uh, was the 49ers weren't effectively stopping the run game. And their formula of defensive success requires them to be an elite run defense because these guys run the wide nine, which stretches out the defensive line, lets those edge rushers really get upfield. But if you can't stop the run, if you're not elite at stopping the run, with your defensive tackles, then you don't earn the the right to pass rush. Teams are just going to be able to push the ball on you with the run game. And, I mean, you're you're not going to be able to pin your ears back in any credible manner. So the 49ers in weeks one to seven last year, when they weren't stopping the run, they weren't getting the sacks at the rate that they normally get the sacks. And that, of course, that larger picture, that affected their offense as well. But the one, you know, specific fix they were able to make was moving Eric Armstead into tackle. That happened this week, and from week eight onward last year, they got their sack rate back up because their run defense moved from number 14 in the league to number one in the league, just with that one fix. Now they're facing a similar or at least a familiar problem, Matt, in that Armstead is hurt. His return from this foot and ankle issue is totally uncertain. And they're weak along the inside relative to, to where they were last year. Remember last year, they also had DJ Jones, who's the number one run-stopping defensive tackle in football. He's in Denver. But Javon Kinlaw, again, hurt this year, out for at least two more games. So what we've seen here over the past two weeks, including last week, where they put up their worst defensive performance of the Shanahan era and their worst defensive performance as a franchise since 2006 – what we've seen is a team that's nowhere near stout up front, and I think that's caused a domino effect of issues to the back end because the pass rush isn't there. And obviously there have been some injury and practice issues compounding it all. But they're going to have to find a magic bullet to at least turn momentum around. Uh, last year it was moving Armstead inside. That might not be a possibility at least right away this season. So what are they going to do? moving into L.A., Matt, to, to at least turn the ship around and start getting it sailing in the right direction again. Yeah, that, that Armstead move was one of three sort of defensive moves that they made at, at midseason. Uh, that was probably the biggest. The, the second biggest was probably allowing Nick Bosa license to line up on the left or the right. Um, he had been a right-side guy for basically all of his career and uh, started to really enjoy the left more 
which is where D Ford had uh, lined up. D Ford was very specific in where he wanted to go. He wanted to be on the left side, and so that sort of forced Bosa to be a right side guy. D Ford was a non-factor last year, so uh, Bosa started getting a taste of right tackle <laughs> in this league, and he he liked uh, he liked how that tasted. So he he spent most of his time on the uh, on the on the left side from that point forward. And then the third one was. Um, was Arden Key uh, starting to take a lot of uh, pass rush snaps as a defensive tackle uh, after having been a defensive end for most of his career? So those three worked really well. I feel like uh, you know Bosa is is back is going to be back in the swing of things. Um, he's not an issue. Um, Charles Amenahue seems to have really kind of stepped into that Arden Key role. I think he's he's doing great. Um, he's going to be a really interesting guy to kind of talk about as the offseason approaches and, and free agency approaches. He's one of many 49ers defensive linemen who are scheduled to become unrestricted free agent. The missing element, and you just illustrated that, is Eric Armstead. And uh, it's a bit of a mystery. We don't even know what this guy is really dealing with. It started out as plantar fasciitis. Uh, which is, you know, a serious foot injury. And then it's uh, it's it's turned into uh, something involving his ankle. Shanahan has not been very good about uh, kind of uh, explaining what it is that uh, he's dealing with. But it doesn't sound as if he's going to be there in uh, in L.A. this week. And uh, then the next logical uh, uh, return for him is after the bye week uh, home against the Chargers. So that's that's big. But if he is back, then that's going to be part of a, a, a group of guys, I think, who are going to be back around the same time. And that includes Jason Verrett. He was activated today off the uh, PUP. It includes Elijah Mitchell. Um, you know, down the line, it's going to include uh, Aziz Alshair. I, th- I thought that was a, a big deal in this game. Drake Greenlaw was dealing with a, a calf injury, um, kind of tried to gut it out, couldn't. Uh, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles came in. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very good at all. And I was sort of wondering why he was in and Oren Burks wasn't. I mean, they, I, I felt like they got Burks because he was a bigger, stouter guy. Um, but uh, I guess uh, in this game, Burks had a big role as a special teamer, and Flanagan Fowles was the uh, was the number three uh, linebacker. I wonder if that's going to change versus the Rams, given how bad that that effort was. But, um, yeah, things have to change. Um, And then we should add one more gigantic one from Wednesday is that Debo Samuel didn't practice. um, And and he didn't look like Debo against the Chiefs. And um, that's a big deal going against the Rams. He's been there. The Rams have been their get-right team. And Debo has been the vehicle uh, with which they've gotten right. He's just bludgeoned the Rams over the last, I don't know, two and a half years. So uh, no Debo, no Juwan Jennings. They both have hamstring strains. Um, we'll see if that changes during the week. But uh, if that's the case, then, you know, I think this the Christian McCaffrey pickup is going to be uh, a, a more uh, handy right away than maybe we even thought coming in because uh, they're going to need something. And uh, McCaffrey definitely showed that um, he could be a very nice fit in this offense. Well, it's, it's really hard to get a read this early in the week on whether or not these, you know, Debo Samuel and Juwan Jennings injuries are just day-to-day things and, and they'll be ready for the Rams or if 
they'll be out for the Rams. But if they're out for the Rams, that I, to me, that turns this matchup on its head because there is a very prevailing feeling in the 49ers locker room, and they have not been shy about this in interviews, that the Rams are front runners. That, that the Rams, when you punch them in the mouth, don't tend to punch back. And, I mean, the 49ers can talk because they've beaten these guys at seven of eight games. And in the seven wins, the 49ers have punched first. And the Rams haven't really punched back. And the one loss was where the 49ers really weren't able to deliver that initial punch, right? That, you know, that they, they weren't able. And I guess, hey, let, let me amend that. Week 18, the Rams did deliver the initial punch. But the 49ers punched back. And once the 49ers did land that punch, the Rams didn't get back up, right? It was it all snowballed in the 49ers' direction. And, you know, I say this because the 49ers believe that they have a toughness aspect with the way, especially if they play yards after the catch football, that they think they can get the Rams to fold. They think that they can play the game downhill if they deliver that. And guess who's central to that? Debo Samuel. Jawan Jennings is also a part of that mentality. If you don't have either of these two guys, and obviously, especially Debo, um, you know, I don't think Christian McCaffrey is a one-to-one replacement there. I think Christian McCaffrey obviously plays a different style of football. He's a nice piece. He's, I think, going to generate positive plays for the 49ers, give them a better chance to win this game. But no Debo Samuel against the Rams. Oh, boy. All of a sudden, that one advantage of the 49ers so proudly hang their hats on, you know, when they do play the Rams. They think they're tougher. They think they can really dictate how this game goes by bruising them after the catch. All of a sudden, that takes a big, big hit. And I think uh, if Debo isn't available or if he's somehow limited on Sunday, Matt, uh, I think George Kittle's going to have to deliver that type of yards after the catch impact. He's going to have to kind of pound that Rams defense to soften it up, to set it up for Christian McCaffrey to dart through. Because you need those those big-time offensive players to make big-time plays. Without Debo Samuel, I think that formula, um, you know, different players are going to have to execute that formula, and they're going to have to do it with their different styles. Yeah, I think what a lot of uh, fans were frustrated with was how dynamic the Kansas City offense looked in contrast to the 49ers offense, which has looked similar in, in recent years with, with jet sweeps and tosses and all sorts of creative plays. I mean, um, the 49ers were thumped in the creativity department in this game. Um, and without Debo Samuel, uh, I think that takes uh, another hit. Um, you know, Danny Gray to me is somebody that's, that it's been frustrating uh, to watch because the 49ers are obviously trying to, kind of get him out there, get him his first catch, his first NFL catch. Still looking for that. And I wonder if, if Debo doesn't play, I'm not saying that Danny Gray is going to come in and play uh, 55 snaps, but um, I, I would hope that uh, some of the um, the end arounds, the, uh, the jet sweeps, the screens, um, some of that might go in Danny Gray's direction. This is the fastest guy. He's going to be the fastest guy in the stadium uh, on Sunday, and uh, they they seem just uh, to try to hit him on some of these uh, these these nine routes down the field, which you know ha- has its purpose. It it keeps the the defense honest, but uh, just get the ball in the guy's hands, see what he can do. That might be a nice way to sort of break the seal, tear off the scab for the poor guy who's <laughs> still here. We are in week eight, and he's still looking for his first catch. Um, I thought we had a good question here for you, David, since you're our resident cap expert. But 
Uh, Danny M. asks, can the Niners afford to sign Sue? Uh, and Dominic and Sue, getting back to our uh, the middle of the defense, is, is missing an element. Um, and Dominic and Sue is a free agent. What's their cap situation look like, and is that a realistic option? Well, their cap situation is good for it. They have between 4 and $5 million of space. And remember, we're already almost halfway through the season, so – uh, I don't think – well, you might have to tempt Sue with, with some more money to lure him off the couch right now. But that's my main – that's my main question is, is, is Ndamukong and Sue even trying to play this year? I haven't seen any indication for, you know, either in either direction. I took a look at his Instagram about a week ago. It seems like he's having a good time with his family. And, um, you know, if he doesn't want to play anymore, he's made enough during his career, then he doesn't want to play anymore. And I think that – uh, that would be very understandable. Uh, that being said, you, you saw the 49ers acquired Christian McCaffrey for essentially the league minimum this year, cap hit of only $690,000 because they only owe Christian McCaffrey the remainder of his veteran base minimum salary uh, that's prorated for, for the year, right? So Carolina paid the first six weeks, 49ers got the rest of it. So if you were to bring Sue in on a league minimum deal, um, I'm not saying they'd be able to do that, but at a league minimum price, it, the, the price would get less and less every single week. So it'd only be about $600,000 right now. And when you have between four and five million of space, that would obviously easily fit. So uh, to, to me, it's more a matter of Sue's willingness. And um, we're also trying to get a gauge from the 49ers perspective on both Armstead and Kinlaw, right? Um, Kinlaw has to be on IR for at least two more games. It's a four game minimum. And the Armstead situation to me, Matt, is a little worrisome for the 49ers just because of how unspecific they're being. And I think they're, you know, that that's not by choice. I think they're forced to be unspecific about it because this plantar fasciitis in his foot, which is kind of connected to an ankle issue, it's a condition that's known to just flare up and linger. And that that's scary because uh, <laughs> you can't really put a firm timetable on it. You know, if you somebody has an MCL sprain, you could say, okay, it's going to be two months, then he'll be back. And then you know exactly what you need to fill in in the time being. Right now with Armstead, it's like, okay, well, maybe he'll feel better here. Then oh, now it's flared up again. And I think there was a lot of that going on when he came back in week four against the Rams, but but hasn't been on the field since. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and, and that's uh, uh, something that's happened to the 49ers in the past. A guy will look like he's coming back from an injury and then there'll be a setback and he's out for a long time. That happened to Trey Greenlaw with that groin issue for a big chunk of last year. And uh, yeah, you don't want that to happen. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the bye week is coming at a, at a very good time for them. Mid season is going to give some of these guys uh, an extra week um, to be back. Javon Kinlaw, uh, Eric Armstead, uh, Jason Verrett, et cetera. So, uh, that's the hope is that um, at, at least some of those guys, uh, a, a nice chunk of, of of the names that we've just been discussing is back for that uh, that week. What is it? Week 10 Chargers game. And the other good part about that, David, is that after this game at SoFi, uh, which is on artificial surface and is becoming a bit of a notorious artificial surface as well. Uh, they've got only one more game remaining on uh, on fake turf, and that's the uh, the December game up in Seattle. So the rest of it's on grass. The rest of the way, that's got to make them happy. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and my two cents on the, on the Sue thing, um, Sue has played for Chris Kacerik before. Uh, so he knows the, he knows the style. He knows the defense. He knows what Kacerik's looking for. He'd be a, a nice fit from, um, just a, a kind of a culture standpoint. The, the 49ers tried that and I can't remember what year it was when they got, uh, Ezekiel Ansa in here. Was it last year or the year before? Uh, it was um, 20, 2020, right? 2020, and it lasted, uh, I don't know how many snaps, but uh, he was finished. Uh, his body had just given out, and so it, it ended up being a, a bad signing. It didn't really help the 49ers at all. So I'm sure the 49ers are leery about bringing in a guy at the end of his career, like Sue obviously is. The question is, like you said, uh, does he have any more left, and does he want to keep playing? But he's the—he's certainly the the only top name uh, available uh, available on in free agency. Uh, although you know, we still haven't until November one in the in the trade deadline. I don't think the Forty ers are going to make another big move. But boy, with this team, you never know. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's just worth repeating that that defensive tackle, the 49ers just need Ferraris along the defensive front. They, their scheme dictates it. You can't really get away with uh, mediocre talent up front, which is why, you know, th- they made this deal with themselves. They said, okay, Hey, we're going to run this ultra aggressive wide nine front, but in order to run it, we, we're going to have to continue this pouring capital into the, you know, personnel along that position group. Because again, when, when you're lined up that far apart up front, every single player has more responsibility, right? Which is why you see uh, Eric Armstead do so well in that role because, I mean, he's huge. He's, he's six, seven, first round draft pick explosiveness and strength. And that was, and still is the hope for Javon Kinlaw. The problem has there has been the knee, but Kinlaw obviously much larger than your average defensive tackle. Uh, the explosiveness is greater than the average defensive tackle considering the size there, but, but the, the knee issues have uh, at least temporarily derailed that. So I think that explains why the 49ers are struggling a bit there inside right now. Uh, the guys that they do have, Kevin Givens, Akeem Spence, they're playing Kerry Hyder in there a little bit, Hassan Ridgeway. They don't necessarily, you know, look like the, the total, I mean, just Goliaths that, that you have there with, with Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw, DeForest Buckner in the past. Uh, that, that that have really made that system tick. Now, I talked to Daniel Brunskill about it in the locker room, and he pointed out to me that Kevin Givens' two best games, or a lot of his best games, but I looked it up, you know, just to see if we had some data to corroborate this. Givens, out of his past 16 games, Matt, his two best ones by PFF grade have come against the Rams. And, and that, that's a thing of the 49ers locker room. They're talking about how Kevin Givens has always been able to show up against the Rams. Now, last time the 49ers played the Rams – L.A. was on its third-string center, and the 49ers know all about that type of nightmare, right? Third-string center nightmares. Well, it, they got to benefit from it in week four when the Rams, they didn't have Brian Allen. He was hurt, and the 49ers racked up seven sacks and 35 pressures. They got ugly for the Rams. Uh, bad news for the 49ers. Brian Allen's coming back this week. Rams should be back on their starter at that center position. The, you know, they're still sketchy as hell at the tackle positions. That they're not. The Rams are nowhere near as good up front as they were last year when they were the top pass-blocking team in football. But the 49ers will not have the benefit of working against a third-string center this time around. 
And that, uh, you know, you know, we could talk about Debo Samuel and all this and all that all we want. That right there might be more impactful on the final outcome of this game. Yeah, another impactful issue is uh, the nickel cornerback is, play, is playing with one arm against Cooper Cup, um, and uh, you know Jimmy Ward, uh, you know, got into the the swing of things um, in a in a very um, challenging way on Sunday against uh, had a lot of matchups against Travis Kelsey, and uh, you know I, I guess holding Kelsey out of the end zone is is a win. Still had ninety eight yards. Um, and, and had some big plays, but, um, you know, he, he gets Kelsey one week and he gets Cooper Cup the next. Uh, so uh, that's going to be a very interesting matchup. The 49ers have just been absolutely killed by Cooper Cup, uh, including uh, what he set the, uh, a career high for receptions in the last game. Again, kept him out of the end zone. I think that's probably a, a big deal in these games, but uh, Cup is the guy, and and Ward talked about it today. He said that uh, you know there, there should be some sack opportunities there for the 49ers because Matthew Stafford will stick on Cup. He'll 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 just watch him. He'll stare him down, counting on the fact that this guy, the best receiver in the in the NFL, probably is going to get open at some point, um, and um, that that causes him to hold on to the ball. Um, Ward's quote was tap, 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 meaning like he, he taps the ball waiting for his guy to get open. He called it, he called it a love connection. Those two have a love connection and, uh, the 49ers, uh, I mean, if, if they can disrupt that and they haven't been able to, um, but, uh, if, if that love connection gets disruptive, then you got Nick Bosa, then you've got Samson Ebby complaining against his former team. Coming in, and uh, Drake Jackson, I thought had a had a pretty nice game against the Chiefs. Um, uh, then you start racking up the sacks. So uh, that's that's the hope. Um, every team uh, obviously tries to come up with a good game plan against Cup, and most fail. And, and really, nobody fails as badly as the 49ers. I think I read today that his uh, his EPA is his, his averages are better against the 49ers than any other regular opponent there. So. That's uh, that's another huge one. That's a uh, that's got to be advantage Rams going into this game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers defense, again, is coming off of its worst performance under Shanahan. I mean, it, 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 this was ugly. We could talk about the scorched earth and the 10.2 yards per play that they surrendered before garbage time. I, You know, at, at a certain point, you know, the statistics have to stop, and you have to say, well, if the 49ers are going to succeed moving forward this year, this defense has to – and had to have taken this loss against the Chiefs personally and said, you know, that this is embarrassing and that they're going to need to find a way, mismatches or not, against Cooper Cup and the Rams in the secondary to, to find a way to stop the Rams because it was bad, it was ugly, it was whatever you want to call it. A lot of adjectives probably apply to the 49ers' defensive performance against the Chiefs, and now they have a different opponent. Now, you know, I don't think anybody's saying that Matthew Stafford is as good as Patrick Mahomes, but Cooper Cup definitely uh, is is at the top of the or at or near the top of the list of NFL receivers. And you did mention Jimmy Ward. The one piece of good news for him, Matt, is that he started with a club last week on Wednesday, then he moved to a cast on Thursday, and then today we saw him with a splint. So he seems to be getting progressively more comfortable with the the broken hand. Maybe it's doing some quick healing. And it it obviously was a big impediment for him to have that club on last week. That's why he removed it it right away before Thursday. So um, I'm wondering if he, you know, has less on his hand and he feels more comfortable with some of that bump and run coverage, right, with his hand jamming a guy like Cooper Cup up near the line of scrimmage because we know that Jimmy Ward is physical. We know he likes to play that type of way. I, I think that's really important in this game, right? Because this, you talk about disrupting timing. Well, if Jimmy Ward is only playing with one arm, it's going to be a lot harder for him to disrupt the timing of the line of scrimmage. But uh, potentially he's moving toward an ability to to better disrupt timing than he did last week against the Chiefs. And that can be something that allows that 49ers pass rush, the extra tick to hit Matthew Stafford. Yeah, the, the question is, is a one-armed Jimmy better than either Diamond or Lenore? And he's probably starting on the other side. I guess the question is, is a one-armed Jimmy better than Samuel Womack uh, against uh, Cooper Cup? And I, I think everybody would probably agree that the answer is yes. Um, just a, a veteran guy, he's seen it all. 
Um, you know, you'd think that Stafford and Cooper Cup would would uh, absolutely devour a rookie in that situation, or maybe Dante Johnson could be the guy. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the the benefit is twofold. You have Ward's um, uh, experience at play, but you're also kind of getting him ready. Um, you know, he's got to kind of. Uh, get his snaps and get up to speed and get into, into the rhythm of things at some point. So you're you're doing that now with the hope that um, you know this the second half stretch, which starts with the Chargers in, in Week Ten, uh, he's he's more up to speed. So I think that's a, a big deal there. Let's let's get to a question here, um, Tavis, Tavis I, the Tavis I or Tavis L says, how many games do we think it'll take to win the NFC West? Um, nine or ten? And uh, my thought is you just get what you had last year. I think the 49ers were 10 and 7. Um, and they they have a nice start in the division. As, as rocky as their start has been, they're, they're 2 and 0 against the NFC West right now. So um, I, I, think, uh, I think 10 and 7 might do it. Yeah, ten and seven. If if uh, you win all but one, at least of the rest of your divisional games, I think would definitely do it. Because last year, the structure of the division was that you had the Rams as as the the true power, right, in the division. The Forty ers were were essentially chasing the Rams throughout the the whole year, and then obviously the Cardinals got started hot, but but they fell off a little bit, and then the Forty ers snuck in as as a wild card there at the very end. You don't have those two powers, and I say that generously for Arizona. You don't have the one power ahead of the 49ers and the Rams anymore this season, right? The, the Rams have weakened. They've lost uh, talent on both lines of scrimmage, and it's definitely showing. They have a sketchy running back situation this year. Right now they have all that drama going on with uh, with Cam Akers. So, I mean, we, we've, we've already seen the Rams. We've seen that the 49ers, um, I, I think, at full health, are a better team than the Rams this year now. Who knows what the health situation is going to be on Sunday, especially with Debo Samuel, not a practice on Wednesday. So this is going to be a huge game. The 49ers could scratch and claw to a victory in this one. They're going to be four and four entering the bye week. And not only will they be four and four, but they'll be three and oh against NFC West opposition. Right. With win two wins over the Rams and a win over the Seattle Seahawks. And. Uh, that would, I think, put them in the driver's seat. Uh, you know, Seattle probably have a very similar record to them. They'd probably both be in that top spot of the NFC West. But um, I would think that the 49ers would be favored to win the division if they beat the Rams this weekend at SoFi Stadium. And I would think that 10 wins would be enough. Hell, nine might even be enough if they win all of their division games. But uh, you, you never know. It's, it's a flawed division this year. Um, you know, uh, I shy away from calling it a terrible division because we're still trying to figure out exactly who Seattle is that, uh, you know, that, that they seem to have surged offensively since they played the 49ers. We're still probably trying to figure out exactly who Arizona is, right? Um, because Arizona is an uneven start to the season. It seems that everybody in the NFL right now is three and four or four and four, you know, there's a lot of parody or mediocrity in a league, depending on which adjective you want to use. And, because of that, uh, November is going to be really interesting as we move from October into November because we're really going to figure out what these teams are made of. And I think one very big proving grounds game is going to be this 49ers-Rams game, Matt, because, you know, whoever impresses in this one 
is going to be a team that people say, ooh, I mean, this team can really contend in the NFC West. I think the team that loses this one is going to be fighting that uphill battle. And for the 49ers, it's doubly important because they're entering a bye week, so they really want to enter uh, that bye week with a good taste in their mouth. Yeah, and all that parity, I think, really kind of underscores why the 49ers felt it was worthwhile to trade for McCaffrey. Um, If you're... You know, just as good as everybody else, and you add uh, you add one really nice weapon. Uh, theoretically, at least, you're now going to be better than those teams that uh, you were you were with. Uh, so, I mean that 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 fits. I mean, it, it fits in a lot of ways. Uh, I felt like last year when Raheem Mostert got hurt, and then almost immediately Elijah Mitchell and Jermichael Hasty and uh, Jeff Wilson was already hurt. Um, that really kind of sunk the 49ers just not having uh, the right tailbacks. And I think it reinforced uh, Kyle Shanahan that we really need to kind of bulk up this position. You can never have enough. That's why uh, they, they went with another third-round pick and tight end his price. Uh, Jordan Mason ended up being a good after-the-draft selection. And then they got uh, Christian McCaffrey. And then – that plus the fact that, you know, at some point, Jimmy Garoppolo, this is the thinking at least, is going to um, be back into a better rhythm. Um, you know, he's, he's said over and over, he's been very honest about this. And I, don't, I don't think he's making excuses. He's, he's just saying that his arm still isn't all the way recovered, isn't, isn't at pre-injury levels. I don't think it's affecting him much during the game, but... Um, just during the week and after the game. And uh, I, I think that just kind of affects his confidence. Uh, and he's close to being back to the n- normal Jimmy Garoppolo. But my point is that, again, th- this this bye week, uh, the second half of the season, that's the 49ers are betting that lots of things come together. Uh, and it might end up being uh, too rosy optimism. Um David and I were talking about this uh, earlier today. This is, uh, after all, even year 49ers. And even year 49ers seem very snake bit and they're usually bad. Um, so uh, who knows what can happen. But that's the idea is that things start to congeal, things, uh, guys start to get healthy, uh, guys start to get into a rhythm, basically starting against the Chargers in week 10. Yeah, you know, the rhythm thing with Jimmy Garoppolo, too, it, I think it's it's more than just a physical thing. And if anything, at this point, he's probably already knocked off most, if not all, of the, the physical rust. But I think rhythm and cohesion, that's obviously dependent on all 11 players offensively. And that might take even longer to, to discover. And Kyle Shanahan alluded to it, to, to it in his press conference on Wednesday. He said, you know, a week and a half into the season – we had to change gears from what we were preparing for at the quarterback position all offseason back to this. And, you know, there's a very new look for the coaching staff with somebody like Mike McDaniel gone. So the 49ers have been dealing with, on top of all that, throwing all the injuries, which is limited practice time. And Kyle Shanahan said, you know, it's been a long time since we've practiced with with all 11 players. And this week uh, that team continues with Debo Samuel, out. Kyle Juszczyk broke his finger. He's probably also not going to play against the Rams. So you have this perfect storm of stuff that can really upset rhythm and cohesion. And, you know, maybe if one of those things doesn't happen, like if Jimmy Garoppolo 
was working with the team throughout the entire offseason as the starter, which he couldn't have even if Trey Lance wasn't on the team because Garoppolo had the, the shoulder surgery. But if, if they had the, the benefit of one of those three things in this perfect storm not happening, maybe uh, cohesion and rhythm offensively would be a little bit easier to attain more quickly. But the fact is that it hasn't been easier to attain more quickly, and now they're still trying to find it. Now, uh, I thought that they've, you know, that they've really shown some some nice plays in a vacuum individually. The the issue with this offense, Matt, if you break down the efficiency, is that they're good on first and third downs. They've been putrid on second downs. They rank, I think, in efficiency. They're they're near number ten on first and third downs. I forgot where exactly they rank, but it's pretty consistent between those two. It's the second downs where they rank number twenty nine in EPA per play and efficiency. So the, and I talk a lot about this, you know, offense being complimentary. I think, you know, the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and uh, you know, the, the bills and Josh Allen, these guys, those guys can occasionally get into that third and 20 and get out of it, especially if they're playing the 49ers defense that forgets how to defend a screen pass. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but the 49ers and the way that Shanahan calls these games is so methodical and so plotting. And I get it. He, he's taking a lot of criticism for that. I'm not here to criticize him for that. We can talk about that at a different time. It is what it is. This is how he calls games. When it works, it's great because the 49ers control the game through, through the ground game. But if he calls the games that way, you can't fail as miserably as they have on second down because then it puts you into a bad position on third down, right? And everything kind of unravels. So I'm wondering if Christian McCaffrey's versatility, his ability to both run and run every single route in the tree can help boost the 49ers in second down. Because second down is that biggest, what are they going to do kind of down, right? And if defenses aren't sure if they're going to run or pass, and Christian McCaffrey is a really good weapon to keep defenses in the dark uh, because he can catch those screen passes or he can take the handoff or he can run a a nice little angle route out of the backfield. Well, um, I I think that might be kind of the missing piece, you know, the, the glue to the cohesion that the 49ers are still searching for right now. I mean, you, you talk about rhythm, and I think Shanahan and his, and his coaching staff, um, you know, ha- have yet to find their rhythm as well. And, uh, Shanahan sort of acknowledged this today in discussing, um, you know, his, his, you know, new new coaches. Obviously, Mike McDaniel is now in um, Miami, and a couple of others are in New York with Robert Sala. Uh, but uh, Shanahan's point is that. The, the coaches are fine. The issue is that they went through the entire offseason training camp and preseason thinking that the offense would look a certain way with Trey Lance as the quarterback. Obviously, lots of running, lots of read option, um, maybe sort of a more power element to it. And then all of a sudden had to sort of slam on the brakes and go in a different direction. And, and at the time, everybody figured – oh, well, you know, this is what they've done in the past with Jimmy Garoppolo. It won't be a difficult transition. Yeah, the issue is that when you, when you spend a full offseason practicing one way, it's, it's, it's difficult to go uh, in another direction. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is finding that, uh, having not practiced, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that that kind of explains some of the hiccups, why that offense looks so bland um, against the against the Chiefs, and I think the, the Chiefs were a, a really big contrast to that, uh, a, a really uh, considerable foil for 
what the 49ers are doing right now. But uh, hopefully that uh, that changes. Um, I thought Eric B. has a good question. He says, David, Matt, how do you feel about the Joukowsky Tart comments on Shanahan? Um, and I think that David is, I mean, uh, Eric is referring to what Tart said on YouTube about practices and how, especially in training camp, uh, when Tart was with the Eagles this summer, he, he discovered that uh, the coaches there gave their players a lot more rest time, recovery time. The uh, the practices weren't as intense as the 49ers were. Um, I asked George Kittle about that, and Kittle's response was that, you know, he talks to guys all the time. Tight end you, this, that, and the other. He's a... He's a social butterfly, and um, there, there's a huge gamut around the league. Was his point it's that the 49ers will have a have a uh, a really rigorous training camp practice that'll have 40 plays on offense. Uh, he knows guys that have 100 plays on offense. So um, I don't know. I haven't covered uh, any other teams in the NFL. I don't know how Shanahan's where, where Shanahan's ranks. Um, but I, I don't get the sense that their, um, their sessions are, you know, uh, unbelievably intense. And then that's what's causing these, uh, these injuries. Um, I think there's probably somewhere in the middle, probably towards the top. Um, the, the Thursday practice is the most intense of the week, but gee, the, the Wednesday and the Friday practice, Friday's practice is basically a walkthrough. Um, and that's not how things used to be back, I don't know, 20 years ago. It used to be very intense in the summer. We're talking two different three-hour practices, and then they practiced even more um, during the week. So um, those guys seem to uh, survive seasons better than current guys do. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure whether that explains it. Yeah, I to me, I thought you might have had the best theory that I've heard yet, Matt. The 49ers have today. We're walking out on the practice field and we were looking at the um, at the at the turf, and and it, it, it struck me, and obviously it, it struck you too, that boy, we've been complimenting the 49ers turf so much over the past couple of years or several years, and it's funny because back in 2014. When Levi Stadium first opened, the, the the turf was the subject of much deserved derision. They couldn't figure it out. But between what they have in the stadium now and what they have on the practice field, it's always just so pristine. And this is not artificial turf. This is natural grass. And, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, it, it, it's completely beautiful. But, Matt, I, I'll let you share it. Uh, you, you said it. The, the, the 49ers don't always get to play on their beautiful turf. So maybe this has something to do with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to take credit for this theory. It's, it's something that I, I you know, uh, got in, in one of the mailbags. Uh, you know, people on Twitter have been talking about it. And it's that the 49ers, um, you know, uh, practice on such nice surfaces all the time that when they go to a different surface, a substandard surface, uh, an artificial surface, they're just not accustomed to it. Uh, and, um, and that's what causes their high rate of injuries, especially on these, uh, artificial, uh, surfaces. It's like, uh, you know, you have a, you know, a $5,000 mattress 
uh, you're used to sleeping in it and you go to a comfort inn. Sorry, sorry, David, <laughs> to bring up a bad subject for you, but you go to a comfort inn, it's got a crappy mattress and, and all of a sudden you're, you're, days you're, you're, you're oh, days in, sorry. <laughs> a days in and all of a sudden your back is out of whack. I mean, it's just what your body is accustomed to. I don't know if that theory holds water, but, um, boy, I mean, we're, we're really, you know, starting to kind of grasp at theories now. Because this has been an ongoing thing for a decade, um, and they've changed medical staffs, and they've changed their their trainers, and they've changed everything really, uh, and yet the injuries persist year in and year out. Yeah, it's it's definitely a vexing issue for the 49ers, and it's obviously on Kyle Shanahan's mind, uh, as obviously it would be for the head coach. But the way that he's talking about it right now is like, yeah, well, we can't get practice in. Uh, properly because guys have been injured and uh, it's obviously something that he is very open about saying uh, is connected to the 49ers cohesion issues and their rhythm issues on offense. And uh, you know, he he even connected it to the defensive issues against the chiefs by saying, well, these guys haven't practiced, even though they returned for the game, they're not as good as they were a couple weeks ago when they were still healthy and practicing because a player like Charvarius Ward didn't practice on Wednesday and Thursday, got in there Friday, but obviously wasn't as effective as he usually is against the Chiefs. So it's a matter of stacking days of preparation, and that can only happen if you're reasonably healthy. And I think the 49ers are in a better spot in that regard than they were last week, but it also does seem like one of those games of whack-a-mole, right? A couple players come back, but then Debo Samuel is is out now and you know that, that that's obviously a big issue for the 49ers as they move ahead into this week why don't we uh look at one more here and then then we'll call it for this episode um malik asks if uh 49ers fans will outnumber rams fans again on sunday that's a fun one why don't we talk about that uh i don't see why not i mean the rams had all the enthusiasm in the world behind them last year they're on a run to the super bowl they're playing better football than they are now um, I, I don't see a reason why Rams fans would would all of a sudden be rushing to support their team at, at SoFi Stadium. Um, obviously, the 49ers aren't doing great right now, but it seems to me that these 49ers fans try to take over any stadium that, that they go to, regardless of the team's record. And uh, if week 18 of last year is any indication, Matt, I think this is going to be a, a red majority crowd down south. Yeah, I got a uh, email this morning from some group that was kind of tracking ticket sales and secondary markets and whatnot, and they predicted 59% 49ers fans. And I even think that that's underestimating it. I, I think it's probably going to be more based on what you said. Um, I, I may have overestimated it uh, in that Week 18 game and the NFC Championship game, but, boy, I, I felt like it was – uh, almost 70 percent. Uh, it, it, it was impressive. Um, everybody remembers Matthew Stafford having to go to silent counts and then Kelly Stafford uh, complaining about that. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's sort of become uh, an NFL thing. So you, you look around these stadiums um, and uh, the, the, the traveling fans uh, show up in force. It used to be only the Steelers fans had a real big reputation for traveling well. This is 20, 25 years ago. Um, and, and Cowboys fans, of course, uh, uh, are uh, everywhere, um, and they have done well. But uh, in these days, uh, I, I don't even think it's close 
it's it's 49ers fans all the way. Uh, and, and this started happening, gosh, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago. I, I noticed it in Arizona. And it's hard to tell in Arizona because uh, everybody's wearing red. But um, I just noticed it from a volume standpoint is that there were a lot of 49ers fans down there for those games. And it's uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger. There was a game in Dallas. I forget what year it was um, where, uh, you know, 70% of that stadium was red. Um, it's very impressive and um, it does help. And I, I think the 49ers uh, road record reflects that. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it was big in week 18 last year. That was for sure. When they started coming back, that place was, that place was loud. And then when Ambry Thomas delivered the interception to seal it, to send the 49ers to the playoffs, the press box shook. I mean, there was a little tremor there in the press box. Maybe I should say a big tremor. That that place, that place really blew up. So it's going to be another Levi's South game at SoFi Stadium. That's what I predict. Anyway, Thanks to everybody for joining today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully do another one of these in the future. Next time, you guys should show up with your audio questions. That's that's a cool part yeah, of this Malik, Malik is always uh, – Malik, you got to come in with an audio question next time. I'm, I'm calling you out. Uh, we we want to hear your voice. Be like uh, George Kittle. Uh, when we interview George Kittle in the locker room, I'm not sure if he's joking or not because he says, if you don't ask a question, then I, I'm going to charge you $5. And – he said that my tab is up to 120, and uh, it doesn't make any sense to me because I almost always ask a question, uh, and and B, you know, even if I didn't ask a question a couple times, it couldn't have possibly gotten up to 120 dollars. But but George said that there's a special price for me that that my price is like 100 dollars per per press conference. So we're gonna start charging Malik the same way that George Kittle charges us. <laughs> All right, you uh, Malik. Pays you and you pay Kittle. That's uh, Kittle. That's yeah, we'll do I, I need to start funding this because uh, you know, he, every single time I show up, my my tab is higher for some reason, and uh, pretty soon it's going to be out of the means, you know, that, that, that I have to pay. So um, we'll have to start start this little system here. Anyway, uh, we, we're just kidding. We're not going to charge you for asking questions or not asking questions. We just uh, enjoy that you show up and you participate and, and at least listen to the podcast because that's a whole lot of fun. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Next time we'll have Dennis Brown back on after the game against the Rams. But we'll talk to you next time on Here's the Catch. Thanks again, everybody.